Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Corralis Radio, and I'm your host, Jeff Godbold. Before we start, a quick rundown of our sponsors. If you're looking for cages, racks, or everything in between, Reptile Basics has you covered. Check them out on Facebook and on the web at www.reptilebasics.com. Who doesn't like geckos and bioactive substrates? Pangea Reptile has one of the largest and most well-kept breeding facilities in the country. You can find them on Facebook or the web at www.pangeareptile.com. Our next sponsor is none other than Dave Brams from Specialty Enclosure Designs. If you want to trick out your cage or tub, hit him up on Facebook or the web at www.specialtyenclosuredesigns.com. And let's not forget one of the most important life lessons there is. You are what you eat. Or in this case, so are your snakes. If you're sick of subpar rodent suppliers, look no further because Forest Fanning produces some of the healthiest rodents in the country. And he can supply any collection, large or small. Check out Cold-Blooded Cafe on Facebook. Last but not least, ship your reptiles the leader in shipping reptiles coast to coast. Why not ensure your animal safety with a solid company and outstanding services and prices? You can find them on Facebook or on the web at www.shipyourreptiles.com. And if you're still listening because you've listened to our list of sponsors, I'd probably like you more than that other douche who fast-forwarded through the entire thing. Thanks for listening, and let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? You're listening to Prowless Radio, and I'm your host, Jeff Godbold. Uh, we've got a fun show planned tonight. Um, kind of a, an Emerald Tree Bowl legend we have on the show. Uh, one of the first guys uh, to be keeping these animals back in, geez, we're, we go back 30 years. Uh, one of these animals were just coming into the country, into the U.S., and uh, kind of a pioneer in, in working with a species that at the time nobody had ever really seen in person. So we've got Tony Nikolai coming on um, for a second time. We had him on uh, once, I believe it was in 2017, uh, maybe it was 2016, I can't remember, but um, it's nice to get him back on the show. We've got a kind of an interesting show uh, planned. You know, Tony's been around for a long time, and he's been keeping these animals for, for quite a number of years, took a little bit of a hiatus, uh, but a lot has kind of changed in the hobby since uh, Tony first started working with these animals. So I want to kind of pick Tony's brain about, um, you know, husbandry and how that's evolved over the last 20, 30 years that he, from what he's seen, as well as kind of some of the things that, uh, you know, he's getting back in it, wanting to, uh, to work with these animals again. You know, obviously they've held a soft spot in his heart for, for a long time, so he's missed them. And, and I want to just kind of, kind of chat, you know, and we're going to have a little bit of a freestyle session tonight. There's not uh, a whole lot planned as far as, you know, usually I go through like an outline and whatnot of specific things I want to talk about. I've got a couple topics that I want to hit on, but I want to basically give Tony an opportunity to really elaborate on some of the topics and let him kind of take the reins and uh, and tell us a little bit about, you know, what the show's uh, designed for, for tonight. So let's go ahead and bring uh, Tony on. I see him holding in the queue. 
Tony, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, good. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're we're uh, staying away from the fires, so uh, we're hanging in there. Um. That yeah. That's uh. That's good. Those fires are unbelievable this year. Yeah, it's the worst that they've ever had. You know, up here in Northern California, it's been progressively worse over the last four or five years, but this year has been terrible. Yeah, I, th- I don't think I've ever heard this many people getting killed by the fire. I know that, it, that every year it kind of takes a toll, but this year it's uh, the death toll is way up there. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's the record for California. It's the worst fire they've ever had up here, um, and there's still uh, over 230 people missing that they haven't found yet. They've, I think wow. they have four over. Um, over 4,500 firefighters that have come from all over the area to, to combat the fires. I have a a couple um, you know, friends that I've got to know through the through the hobby and that are in that area, and I've reached out to them, and they seem to be doing okay. They've been able to place their animals uh, with different folks to make sure that you know they were safe, and obviously you know family comes first, so everybody seems to be okay, but. Uh, that hasn't been the case for a lot of people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's nice to always get you, uh, you know, Tony, I feel like I relate to you on a little bit of a, a closer level, not because I know you so well, but just because you used to live a mile from me. <laughs> or, you know, when I lived there. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I used to live right around the corner from you, and I didn't even know it, so... Uh, nice, nice. Uh, you know, I feel like we have that uh, <laughs> that bond. Of, that's you know, that's wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, maybe um, I I guess we did a little bit of an introduction uh, for anybody that's into emerald tree boas. Um, you know, they should know who you are. Uh, we did an introduction the first time I had you on the show, um, but I kind of wanted to. Um, I, I was thinking. You know, every time I post a picture uh, or post a, uh, you know, I guess an ad or a post on Facebook or social media that is, you know, saying, hey, we've got so-and-so coming on the show, I try and put a picture that, you know, of that person holding one of their animals or, you know, something that relates to that person, you know, in the post. And so I I was able to uh, post a picture of your old, you know, facility of all your your cages, which were pretty pretty uh, revolutionary at the time. Nobody was really keeping, you know, animals in the cages like what you had at the time. So I wanted to right. ask you, because I have gotten a ton of, this is not planned, but I have had a ton of feedback from people asking about those cages, asking about how they can get them, asking what went into the design of them. Um, and so, you know, I figured maybe we should start off with that. You know, it was a we are going to talk about husbandry, but I'm kind of curious what went into your thought process whenever you went into uh, designing those cages. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, like everybody else, I started keeping stuff, you know, in aquariums. And, um, uh, you know, I went to that first National Breeders Expo. I couldn't believe it. You know, somebody had told me about it. And uh, I went there and I, uh, you know, I realized then that, you know, you could pretty much, um, 
work with whatever whatever animal you you chose to and you know my soft spot so so even even that first show you know I bought a bunch of king snakes and stuff you know and a retic- I always wanted a reticulated python so I'd bought a reticulated python and but you know my love was emerald you know so I started looking around and 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 like a year later you know found a real nice emerald that I I, I got and you know stuck him in an aquarium you know like everybody else you know and uh, you know, it just, it was just not practical. You know, I knew right from the start, you know, by the behavior of the animals and everything, it just wasn't a practical scenario. So I just, you know, I'm pretty creative. So I just kept thinking about, you know, what can I do? You know, I need something that, you know, opens from the front. And there really, at that time, you know, there really wasn't a lot of, uh, stuff going on with arboreal stuff like that, you know, very little, you know, I mean, you had, you know, people like Bassett and Trooper, uh, you know, working with green trees, a lot of green trees over there and coming up with some revolutionary ways to keep green trees and, and incubate eggs. I remember the crazy setup that Eugene first started goofing around with, with the, you know, with the rocks in the bottom of this jar, he literally incubated them in like a jar, like, you know, with rocks in the bottom and sphagnum and stuff. But, um, so, you know, I just happened to stumble upon, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, from the local, you know, herp conferences that I would go to here. And, uh, he had this really interesting gecko enclosure that he had made out of plexiglass. And, um, you know, I started looking at it and I'm saying, you know, thinking to myself, this would be absolutely perfect, you know, mocked up. And, um, so he, you know, told me to come over and we kind of goofed around with it and literally built uh, the first plexiglass cage with the pull-out tray. And, uh, you know, I had already thought about the design and everything. And um, I still, literally, I still have that cage in my room today. (laughs) And that was built probably, oh, my God, 20-something years ago, you know. And uh, so... And then the next the next evolution was the the next thing. So so I realized, you know, man, this this is working great. So I I've got to, you know, I've got to do this. So uh I I planned all these cages out. I literally had every piece, you know, the the, the dimensions of every piece. I have I had a set of plans for them. And I sent them to my plexiglass guy and um he cut all the pieces for me but he didn't even offer or i didn't even know at the time that, that that you know there were companies that did fabrication like that you know so uh you know literally i was delivered this stack of pieces and i would literally glue these things together you know and i still got all those cages out there too they turned out nice they're just not like polished you know so the next thing that happened was just by chance uh my wife brings home one of her girlfriends and her husband and you know they wanted to see the snake room and the snakes obviously and so they're out there looking around and i'm and and the you know everybody's kind of looking at the snakes and the guy's kind of just checking the cages out. I can really see him checking the cages out, you know? And, uh, you know, he's like, did you build these? And I said, yeah. And he said, he said, that's not bad, you know? And I was thinking, you know, not bad, man. (laughs) But he's like, you know, he goes, I do, I do this for a living. And, uh, and he said, you know, and then he started telling me all the things that he would have done differently. You know, I, I, you know, round these corners on the door and flame polish all the edges and, uh, you know, so, you know, right then, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, you got the job, you know? So, uh, as I grew, you know, I, uh, I stopped cause it, man, it was a rough time building those things, man. It was, uh, it was a lot of work to build them yourself, you know? 
there's a lot of little pieces right. that go into them. But uh, so he had, you know, he he built them from then on. But yeah, the the design is just it's perfect, you know, because you've got, um, you know, if the animal goes to the bathroom, you know, or you need to clean the water or whatever, you know, you can just slide the trays right out and. Um, you know, you don't have to disturb the animal, and and the perches are fixed in there to where literally you can just lift the perches up and out of the cage, which is by far your best scenario. Um, if you, you know, as anybody knows, if you try to handle an emerald, you have to be very slow and deliberate and trying to work them up off the branch. And if you can literally take the branch up and just walk outside with them on the branch, you know, they'll loosen up and they'll, uh, especially if you have an animal that's, um, you know, a little bit aggressive, you know, like at some type, some northerns can be really aggressive. But once, you know, I right. had the meanest northern ever, and once that snake was outside crawling around in the sun, you could hold it like a corn snake. I'm not kidding you. That's crazy. Yeah, but so that's yeah, that's kind of how that you know the cages came to be. But and you know over the years, you know um, people have duplicated them, you know, to, with their own kind of modifications. One, you know, one of my buddies, uh, you know, at one time, probably fifteen, twenty years, maybe twenty years ago, was offering them for sale. You know, had kind of, you know, you know, had dubbed them the TNS you know, series, you know, acrylic cages and stuff. And he sold some, but, he's, but the problem was, uh, you know, the shipping was almost impossible with them because they're so hard to ship. You know, inevitably right. they show up cracked or something, you know, with the plexiglass. you got to be a little bit careful with it, you know. But the animals don't scratch them at all. So, you know, if you take the time to, to build a nice enclosure like that, you know, they they stay they stay beautiful, you know, as long as you don't scratch them, you know. <laughs> Right. Was that Buddy Goetzer? No, that was a guy named Joe Polanco. Okay. He used Joe. to keep he, right. he used to keep emeralds back then, but he, I, I don't even think he keeps them now. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that's interesting. So, you know, a lot of people um, they look really, really tall. What were the dimensions of those? Because a lot of people don't don't keep animals. They seem like they stick to the twenty four height. 24-inch height. Those are 24. They're 24 oh, by, yeah, they're 20, they were like 20, the, the adult units were like 24 by, pretty much 24 by maybe 18 deep, something like that. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, they. I guess in the picture they looked a little bit taller than that, but I mean, that's, you know, it's funny. Well, with the stack, you know, with them stacked like that, you know, there was a, uh, that's another thing, you know, um, I had to, uh, you know, there really wasn't anything on the market out there that would accommodate, you know, exactly what I needed to do. So, you know, I, I, I had these stands made and, um, at first, you know, I just had a, a double stand, you know, with two cages on top and two cages on the bottom. But as I, you know, grew and, you know, everybody, you know, is, you know, needs space, uh, I knew I had to try to get more cages and less space, so I designed that three high unit, and um, those are pretty tall. You know, that's uh, you know that the the tallest cage is probably up around you know the top of it's probably around eight feet. I mean, those are you know it gets it gets pretty high wow. up there. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because those pictures are so old that I posted them this you know in that ad on Facebook just a few days ago maybe it was yesterday, and um, 
I've had so many people that are like, oh, my gosh, that's a dream room. How do I get cages like that? Please tell me who makes them. And I'm like, wow, guys. Those are actually really, really old. You know, and that's so funny because I've just, uh, you know, after that big debacle with the collection, uh, you know, I literally for years it just sat just vacant, you know. And uh, I went through there and just, you know, just just uh, like a year ago, went through there from top to bottom. I mean, literally just moved, you know, one stand away from the wall. I'd start on the one wall and do the walls and the floors and take every cage off the stand, do the stand, put it back, put the cage. And I literally went from one end to the other. So the room today looks better <laughs> than, than those pictures. It's just a completely empty room. It's waiting on some, me to fill it up with some beautiful animals now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. That, I mean, so that's funny because it's like, you know, most people don't use lamps anymore, but, is that something that you are going to stick with, or is that something you no, think you'll you move away to, like, heat panels? You know, when uh, when they were at the old place, you know, I, I basically had my gra- an insulated garage, and uh, I, I, I put some insulated garage doors on there. And so in the for the winter time, uh, I would use those little lamps up there, and I'd put, like, 40-watt bulbs in there, and I'd run them on a timer during the day. And uh, that worked really well, but you know now I've got a um, a much better insulated, you know, specific designated room for them, and um, I I just keep the ambient temperature where I want it, and I keep the humidity uh, ambiently, you know, in that room, and um, I you know I don't try to manipulate it, uh, you know I've got under each one of those cages on each shelf there's a um, 11 inch wide piece of heat tape that runs underneath those cages and it's on a okay. dimmer switch and um, I used to run it you know at like 60% on and you know I had water in the I kept water in the bottom of those trays and it would you know the, the just a little bit of warmth would cause the evaporation and I you know almost didn't need to run a humidifier in the room because it would just you know, I would almost daily I would have to fill up trays, you know, because they would they would be evaporating nicely. But um, right. it's easier now if you've got a nice sealed room. It's 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 simpler just to use like a humidifier, and um, and actually those rooms are you know uh, with central air and heat. But I don't use the the heat because it just pulls too much moisture. Those you know those heat uh, coils just pull right. too much moisture out of the air. So I just literally have you know a couple of um, radiator those oil filled radiator heaters in there on a thermostat, mm-hmm. and that works beautifully. You know. Yeah. So especially for people in, you know, especially for people up north, you know, in climates where they do have to heat extensively, you know, here in Florida, we just, you know, we, we don't have to heat much, you know, maybe during the winter for a little bit. But um, so, you know, up north, people that that really are fighting the elements, um, those those heaters are nice because they won't dry out your air, you know, as bad. Right, right. So. So I guess you're sticking with the same cages, it sounds like, just minus the lamps. Right. Well, the lamps are up there. They just won't run. Oh, okay, okay. So, like, did you ever have issues with the animals um, feeling too exposed 
in in the cages, you know, with all clear sides and whatnot, you know, some folks might think, oh, you know, the animals would wouldn't feel secure. Now, obviously, I don't think it's you know it's not in your common area, so you don't have family members and whatnot walking by all the time. But you know, do you ever see issues with that or trouble with some of your animals being overly insecure because of the clear sides? Well, you hit the nail on the head with the with the activity level. You know, it's um, if you have them, if you want to put them in your living room, you know, with your kids running around and stuff, you know, that's not going to be good. <laughs> but uh, Right. You know, I'm the only one in the snake room, and, um, you know, if if most of the time the animal – I think it's actually less of a fright to them, to tell you the truth. I have, I have seen, like if you walk – like a zoo enclosure, you know, how you walk to the next exhibit and you become in, you know, view of the animal. Well, the animal doesn't see you coming, then all of a sudden, boom, it's there. If the animal sees you from across the room walking around, he sees this constant movement – they're more relaxed as opposed to if you only had one face glass and all of a sudden, boom, you walk by and you're in front of it. It's like, whoa, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So but in that regard, I think, I think it's actually probably less uh, stressful to them. And I've seen animals, um, you know, when I'm in there working before, I've seen animals that maybe were looking straight ahead and then as they see you moving around, maybe cleaning cages, they, they just kind of tuck their head in their coils, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, so and that's I, good I enough for them, you know, because I'm not going you know, to bother them other than that, you know. If they can't see me, then, then, then they're, they're fine with that, you know. Right. Yeah, so it, I have some animals like that too that, you know, when they're coiled, and I used to keep chondros, it's like a lot of times I could just get in there and move around, even though they were exposed, you know, I wouldn't have any issues with, uh, with, you know, them, you know, getting overly sensitive or insecure about me, you know, being in there, cleaning, whatnot. So, you know, it's all in, it's all in the environment. So I, that's kind of one thing I wanted to make, wanted you to hit on is, you know, just because those cages work for you doesn't mean that they would work for everybody else. It kind of has to do with your own, you know, room situation and, you know, yeah, how many you people just, you, you know, have. You just have to... You just have to meet the basic requirements. You know, they need the the heat. You know, you need to heat them up in the mid-80s during the day. And uh, they need the humidity, you know, probably above 60%. You know, I would say, you know, 60% would, uh, above 60% would be fine. I've I've even heard of people, uh, in fact, Elliot Jacobson told me he used to keep an emerald for years and years, uh, and I forget where he told me he kept it, but uh, he said it was very dry. Um, the conditions hmm. were were very dry, and I was and he said he never had a problem with it, and I, I was so surprised. But um, you know that's that's an exception. You know you know you really want to keep the humidity above sixty percent. Same with same with green trees, okay. you know. And mm-hmm. um, you know you meet those requirements, and uh, you know it, it's it's. Um, and ventilation too. That's another thing. You you uh, the aquariums just aren't really good. You know you've got that one screen top. You know you don't you don't really have um, a lot of air movement. But uh, you know you can't have high humidity and sacrifice the ventilation. You know you have to have you know decent you know ventilation in your cages. Did you have a misting system set up on yours, or did you just do it by hand? Or I guess you didn't need to because of the water bottom, huh? 
I didn't need to because uh, in Florida, you know, of course, it's in, during the summer, you know, you don't have to do anything with them. You know, it's just hot and humid here. But uh, in the winter, it's, you know, I ran a humidifier. So if the te- if the ambient humidity is, is um, good, which you want, you don't want to rely on, have to rely on just misting the cage and then, you know, <clears throat> say, oh, my God, I didn't miss the cage at dinner time. Now the humidity is, you know, 30% or something, you know. Um, you really right. want to try to, you know, it's it's much easier to try to, um, you know, control the humidity in, in, in a particular room. But, you know, the the one person that does have one animal and, you know, and, and, and you know, they don't have a designated room for it, you know, you, you basically have no – choice but to try to regulate it in the in the same cage you know and and with that you know something like heat tape underneath the bottom of a wet substrate uh you know would help a lot you know as opposed to just have trying to mist plus if the animals are going into shed you do not want to you if your humidity is high it doesn't hurt to miss the animals but if your humidity is suspect you do not want to be misting the snakes directly when they go into a shed because that constant uh wet dry wet dry will literally suck the oils out and you'll have terrible sheds doing that you'll think you're think you're helping but you're not interesting you know that's one thing that that you know I wanted to hit on is you know, um, misting animals directly. Everybody seems to be so paranoid about misting uh, emerald tree as or snakes in general. You know, uh, really? directly because it lowers look because of yeah, it's it's really weird. It's you know, I I kind of understand. Um, you know, the whole the premise is is that okay, if I mist my animals directly, it lowers their core body sense, and that's a remedy for a respiratory infection. Mm-hmm. I think what people are maybe forgetting is the time of day that they're doing that. As in, so like a lot of folks have a night a night drop, or maybe like yourself, they just shut the 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 heat off at night and let it drop mm-hmm. gradually to room temperature. If that's when you're missing your animals, maybe that's the problem, not necessarily the act of missing them directly. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I'm not really sure about that. I, I've seen, uh, I don't think that, um, I think if you have your animals in a stress-free environment with, and you're warming them up enough during the day, um, it really doesn't matter. Um, now if you misted them for hours and hours on end, yeah, that's going to lower their temperature for sure. But if you just go through the cage and you, you know, spritz the cage down, you know, and spritz them a little bit. Um, and emeralds tend to have, you know, they'll tend to just sit there. You know, I, you know, if you're, if you're not doing anything with them, you know, they're just going to sit there. And then at night, you know, if they're not even hungry, then they're just going to still sit there. You know, so it's not a bad idea. You know, I'll go in there and uh, and just try to move the animals around a little bit. You know, like after I feed them, I'll go in there. <clears throat> you know. Probably I'll give them a couple of days off, you know, and but you know about day three, four, by four for sure, uh, you know I'll start, 
you know, maybe I'll go in there and I'll move them around just a little bit, you know, not, not completely take them off a coil or anything, but I'll, I'll take maybe one or two coils off and just, you know, real slowly and just, you know, work with them a little bit, maybe, maybe make them crawl to another part of the cage and then I'll spritz everything down. And, and, uh, I think that just kind of stimulates them. It gets them moving. It might get them started to drink, you know, it might start them to drink. Um, you know, that's all good stuff. So I don't know about the, uh, again, you know, you got to be careful when they go into a shed. You know, you don't want to be, if your humidity, like I said, is, is you know, a little bit on the low side, you definitely don't want to be spraying them directly. Because, um, right. you know, that constant wet, dry, wet, dry will just, it just, it just, you know, if your humidity's not high all the time, you know, it's just going to, it's just not good. It's just going to suck the oils out of them. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've I've seen, you know, Eugene Bissett used to take his snakes out when it was 50 degrees out and raining, and uh, stick their cages out on the patio, uh, and they just breed like crazy. You know, they just lock up. And uh, when I first started keeping them too, you know, I had uh, I had a pair in uh, my parents' garage in a big wire cage. And um, it was really cold. It was it was in the winter, and um, I went over there. It was so funny. I went over there, and I had literally I had a blanket over the cage. I had like some floodlights on, but I mean it was you know f- probably 40 degrees in the garage. You know, hopefully you know I was like I didn't know anything. You know, and I lifted back the uh, the little blanket. You know, and they were in there just breathe. He was just breathing the heck out of her. So I just you know, close the blanket back up again. And, you know, I couldn't believe, you know, I was like, holy cow, dumb luck, you know? Um, right. Yeah. That's, you, you don't want it. You don't need to, and you don't want to cool them down that much, you know, but um, right, right. it gets chilly, you know, it gets chilly at night, you know, in the rainforest. It does. Sometimes. And, you know, they, and they do, you know, back when we, when I first had John, I, I had no experience with them, but I've got a trio now not of basins, but of northerns. And it's it's interesting because they do need misting. They need it. and Or some type of humidity. You know, like if you're providing it like you were with the, with the trays and whatnot, you didn't really have to, you know, worry about it. But, like, one thing I've become a firm believer of is, is rain chambers or some type of uh, spritz, you know, on them because it really gets them moving and my animals, it's almost necessary for them to have a bowel movement. Otherwise, they're not mm-hmm. gonna they're not gonna move, and they just get backed up. Well, that's why that's why I came up, you know, initially with that rain chamber, and uh, you know, I I built them. You know, I, I've got I've got one in each room, uh, but I don't use them anymore. I pretty much I I, I even during the even during the winter months here. Um, most of the time, you know, there'll be a little stretch, and last year it worked out just perfectly uh, where, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, or, or, you know, a week and a half or something, we'd get a little warm spell, you know, where it would kick up into the, um, you know, 80s, you know, maybe low, you know, maybe upper 70s, low 80s, and uh, I was able to get the animals outside, you know. And uh, it, I just think that it's um, it's a lot better when you can do that. If you can get your animals out, you know, in some fresh air and sunlight, you know, you talk about stimulating them. That's, you know, that's when they really, you know, they enjoy that. 
and uh, you know I'll crawl them. Uh, you know I'll put them in the grass and crawl them, uh, or put them up on a little jungle gym or something, and um, you know turn the hose on them. And uh, you know after they, especially after they crawl a little bit, you know they'll turn the hose like it's raining on them. And uh, man, right. you'll get bowel movements just a hundred percent of the time. I mean literally. Yeah. Um, so you know well, that's it's one uh, thing I did is I put like a. Uh, I rigged a bunch of branch. I would cut down a tree and kept some of the limbs and you know cleaned them off and rigged a little bit of a jungle gym out back. Um, mm-hmm. So I I don't know. I th- it seems like they they would you know if you're keeping these guys they would really benefit from that. I, obviously the weather doesn't permit that year round, but sometimes if you can do it during the warmer months, you know it seems like the animals seem to really really enjoy it. Oh, they absolutely do. It's um, you know, I can I can take these these females. They'll be out crawling around, and I'll get a bowel movement from them, and and you know, occasionally I'll put them right back on their tubs. I'll have their tubs sitting out on the uh, patio, and if I put them up on their tubs a little too early, they'll crawl right back down and start crawling again. And uh, but once they've you know once they've had a good stretch and and a good little workout, you know, I put them back in their put them back on their tubs and. Man, they just—they're just so relaxed. They just crawl around, and you know, you'll see them—you know—rub their chin every now and then, and just slowly explore the tub out in the fresh air and sunlight, you know, until they slowly coil back up, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. if you can do that, for sure, man, it's—they're—it's—it's—you uh, um, know—they get natural UV out there, and. Uh, right. You know, it's the—it's the best of you know, especially in Florida. You know, you can—you can do that, but. Uh, you know, if you can, if you even in even in uh, you know climates where you know you don't have a, a lot of opportunity to do that, if you can do that even you know every now and then again, I'm sure that it's probably good for the snakes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, like you know, with you keeping them so so long ago, and you keeping them now, are there any things, albeit maybe even subtle things, that you would do differently or that you're going to do differently now than compared to when you used to keep the animals? Um, like prior to the hiatus? Yeah, I'm thinking about that. I think maybe the only thing right now I'm doing differently is, you know, because I have... Um, you know, just a small group of animals, I'm able to to give them a lot more time. You know, um, when I had a larger collection, uh, not, you know, on, on the days that I'm out, you know, cleaning cages or something, and I'm able to get some animals out in the sun, not everybody gets out that day, you know. <laughs> but now right, everybody right. gets out that day. So, uh, you know, I'd say that's you know, in the probably the year and a half now that I've been back keeping these things, um, I have probably only cleaned poop out of a tub about five or six times. That's how on top of their exercise and bowel movements I am. <laughs> Plus it's a okay, lot more so enjoyable you... if you can get them outside and crawl them and, and, and watch them and give them some exercise and, you know, that's, and, and then they, and then they go to the bathroom outside, then you, you know, you pick them back up and you put them in the cage, the cage stays clean, you know, and the, and right, you've, okay. and you've enjoyed your animals at the same time. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So 
that's a good, that's a good idea. If you can get them to do it out, I, you know, it's funny. I do the same thing with my dog. I'm like, we take her on a play date, sure you know, we do, uh, up to a park. I'm like, if I can get her to go there, <laughs> absolutely. Exactly. You take your dog for a walk. That's exactly what I do with these things, man. I take them for a walk, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it works like a charm, you know. Win win. So how how big are your animals getting? They've got to be, you know, sub adults by now. Yeah, they're two. They were two in um, uh, September and October. You know, right around that area, that time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, because I've you know because I've been able to stay right on top of them. Uh, you know, they're they're big. You know, the the my females are. Man, I mean, I, I'm almost afraid to tell you how big they are because, you know, I would not encourage the, uh, you know, the average, you know, person who's not real, you know, experienced with these things to do what I've done with them, you know, because I have stayed right on top of them with the feedings and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But they're, you know, they're big. They're 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 growing good. I'll, they're on track to breed at four. And that's that's the soonest okay. I've ever even attempted to breed them, you know. And I know that some people raise them. I know Eddie raised them a little slower than I do, you know. And uh, I think mm-hmm. he breeds his females, you know, you know, five, five-ish, you know. Um, right. But uh, you know, having such a small group, you know, I'm able to stay on top of them, and uh, you know, they're def- These females are definitely, you know, um, going to be ready at four. So are you feeding more frequently smaller meals, or are you feeding larger meals more infrequently, like every two weeks? What What are you doing for your for your feeding? Yeah, regimen? that's another that's another thing that people, um, you know, you you have to have a happy medium there. Um, you can ruin, uh, you know, I've, I think we've talked about this before. You can ruin snake, you can ruin emeralds by um, feeding them small, too small a meals for too long, especially when they're babies. If you do that when they're babies, you know, people used to call it tic-tac feeding or whatever. Uh, and that and that was a um, – that was something that I think came around because back then, you know, you basically had to get by imported stuff. And there was a lot of regurgitation syndrome, a lot of regurgitating stuff going on. And people used to think, well, man, if I feed it a small enough meal, it's not going to throw up. Well, that, that's just not, not going to happen either. But, uh, yeah, if you, so a lot of people because of that would feed even like the babies, you know, um, very small meals. And, uh, I've gotten babies before from people that have raised them on ridiculously small meals and they couldn't even take, they couldn't even take a small meal. And, uh, you have to, but on the same, at the, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, you obviously don't want to give them something too big either. Um, something about, you know, their body diameter is probably a good rule of thumb, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, I start baby emeralds on hopper mice, crawlers, crawler mice. Um, and that's a good size meal. I know a lot of people don't, you know, don't even try, you know, they try them on like pinkies or something, you know. Um, oh, wow. But, uh, you, you know, they need to, they need to, you know, they need to swallow and stretch a, a decent meal. And um, so you just have to, you know, kind of, kind of just play it by ear. You know, most people have a good eye for that stuff, especially if you've been keeping other types of snakes. You know, you'll have a decent eye for it. Just don't go too small or don't go too big. You know, 
And then with yeah, the emerald as well, with the you know with the bowel movement thing, their their metabolism is so slow. You want to, um, uh, you know, a lot of people say you know one meal, one bowel movement, that's great, especially as babies. That's a good rule to follow. Um, but as they get bigger, they can take a second meal with, uh, you know, and still not look big down at the vent at all. You know, what you don't want is a big stretched out area at the vent. You see a lot of animals that, again, people never get out of their cages. Uh, and you look at them and they're just, they look like they're about to explode down at the vent, you know, which is, you know, I hate mm-hmm. that. I hate that look. And um, yeah. so with emeralds, you don't have to do that, though. You know, you can just, you know, w- once they get to a certain size, you know, uh, you know, about, you know, probably eight months or so, you know, they could, they can start taking maybe a second meal and then you, you, then you get a bowel movement from them, you know, about, about, you know, five, six days, seven days after that meal, definitely. But around day five or six, you can start moving them around a little bit. And, uh, you know, after that second meal, you know, six or seven days, take them out, let them crawl, give them some exercise um, Mm -hmm. spray, you know, misting spray while they're crawling around, especially in the sun, you know, that contrast of that sun hitting them with that cold, cool water, you know, you'll get a bowel movement from them, you know, and then they're, and then they're ready to go where you can feed them again, you know, but you don't want to just sit there and feed, 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 feed with no bowel movements, you know, not, not with them. Right. Right. So like, you know, this is a lot of people don't like to talk about this stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about it because I, the whole point of me bringing you on and, and having the show, it's for people to learn. So, like, you know, I don't have a ton of experience with them. Um, I have one female that uh, has been on rats. Uh, she, she's captive born and bred, was on rats before she came to me. Um, and uh, she's only, yeah, gosh, I'd say she's probably a year to year and a half. Now, a little bit smaller, because I have a male that's a litter mate, and he's larger than her. So, I, you know, I was, I, I didn't buy them together. I bought, you know, one uh, separate from the other one. And I remember thinking, like, you know, I, after I got the mail, I was like, oh, man, I think I'm feeding two small meals, you know. And I was feeding rat pinks. Um, and, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, how, lucky, how, lucky, how old was lucky, the mail? A year and a half to two years? I'd say, yeah, a year, probably about a year. Maybe about a year. Let's say about a year because I'm I'm trying to think. Um, I, I saw them in person in uh, February of this past. No, yeah, about February of this past year, and um, of this year, and they were still tiny. They were like kind of freshly born, so they've got to be approaching around a, a year. They've got to be around a year, so a year and a half. Yeah, that, that's that's a stretch. They're not that old yet, but anyway, so. She would take a couple meals and no problem. I decided to feed her like a like a rat, um, I guess like a fuzzy, is what you would call it. You know, it's mm-hmm. a little decent amount bigger than a than a than a pink, and mm-hmm. she prolapsed. And so like prolapsed. All my years, yes, and all my years of keep. I mean, I've been keeping snakes for years. I've never had a prolapse before. So I didn't, you know, I don't bug them that much. So when I got in there, I was like looking at it, I was like looking at it, and it wasn't like, it wasn't terrible, but it was definitely a prolapse. And I guess it had been out, you know, for a little bit of a time. And I, you know, I was like, oh, man, that's not, you know, that's not good. 
And so I attribute it to me feeding uh, too large of a meal. Um, and, you know, I didn't take her out to, to miss her or anything like that. I hadn't done that before. You know, I would just miss in the cage, and it, it would come out naturally, and there was no issue. But, you know, thankfully, I guess I should say that, thankfully, you know, I I put some, some uh, I had some sugar water, and uh, I put her in a bowl with some sugar water, which shrunk it down to a manageable size. And then I took a Q-tip with some Neosporin. I was able to push it back in, no problem whatsoever. This is over, this has been a couple weeks, so... Um, I've been checking on her periodically. She ha- it hasn't come back out. Obviously, I haven't fed her again. Um, but I think you know the point of me bringing that up is you know I think for me I think I fed too large of a meal to that animal. Um, I think maybe I should have uh, maybe she's not there yet. Mayor's trying to push something on her that that you know and I don't know. What are your, what are your well thoughts? let's let's um, let's let's back up then so. You get the animal at at um, you get the animal at what age? Oh, so did I you raise had, did you I've raise it? Her. Is it from a baby? Yeah, I've had her for like six months prior to this. So you got it at like a six month old. Yeah, basically, right. And and what did the guy say that it was eating when you got him? So eating rat pink, which is what I, rat what I started feeding it. Yeah. So that's what, that's okay. what I started feeding it. There was no issue. Um, stayed on it for months. Never had any, you know, n- never had any regurgitation or anything like that. Never had a prolapse or anything. And then, you know, I was in there cleaning, and there was just about the size of my my pinky nail, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of okay, uh, okay, Let, let's uh, sticking out. Okay, so first of all, yeah, that you, you know, uh, um. Rat pinky. I would. Uh, a lot of people start the babies on rat pinkies. So at six months old, that snake should have been eating something like a rat pup. Okay. So right. that's uh, that's probably one of those cases where uh, the snakes were just fed too small a meal for too long. Okay. And that's why you've got issue like that. Um, the pro the prolapse is a weird thing though because the only the only time I've ever had prolapses and I don't know that I've ever had a prolapse with an emerald. When I was keeping the green trees, I would get the babies. I would you know I would get a prolapse uh, every now and then. And the vets told me when I would take them in, is that's because they had like a protozoan, an irritation in the intestines and it makes them feel like they got to go to the bathroom. So they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and they have a prolapse. It's pretty co- I think it's fairly, co- was fairly common with chondras, um, mm-hmm. but not with emeralds. I don't know. So I would suggest you maybe get a, a, a fecal done and just see if there's something going on there. I don't know. Uh, because it's, usually it's, that's it's, what, why they prolapse. It's not, it usually doesn't have, I mean, did, you know, was the snake just, you know, massively impacted, you know? I mean, could you, you know, did it have like this, you know, like it was going to explode know, down by the vent or something? So, no, no, it wasn't that bad. But the person I bought them from is a super reputable, reputable breeder. Um, they, they've been, it's pretty much an ex, 
exclusively with a keep. They have a room full of them. And uh, it was captive-born, captive-bred. Um, and like I said, I have a sibling to it with no, no problem whatsoever. Um, mm. So I'm thinking, you know, when I got the second one, I, I immediately thought, okay, it's on me. I'm, I'm just feeding two small meals. Um, I should have been feeding larger meals. Um, and, you know, I don't feed, like, super heavy on any of my animals. I have I keep several different species, and I feed mm. pretty pretty sparingly to everybody um, just because I don't have a ton of room, so I'm not trying to grow, like, behemoths or anything like that with anything I keep. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was it was the first burlaps I had, ha- burlaps I had, had and the animal has, has never really been exposed to anything wild caught or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I know the individual well. I've, I've seen the facility and the animal in person, uh, you know, months before getting it. So, I, you know, I don't really think it's a parasite. I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously there's no way to know 100%. But um, I just figured because I hadn't, so like I went like a few weeks where I did feed the animal and I didn't, I didn't take it out. And to be honest with you, I can't even recall if there was a bowel movement in that time. Now I'm not taking the animals out to, I, I maybe I shouldn't, but I have a little bit of a hands-off approach uh, with a lot of the, with my animals. And that's that, you know, I'm not in there messing with them very much. Um, I try to leave them alone and not uh, disturb them as, as, as much as possible. And maybe that was a little bit of a fault on my part. Maybe I should have been in there looking, um, but I don't know. I, I, I and I'm not. Do you have you know, a not, uh, Do you have like a designated snake room, or do you where Where do you keep them? Yeah, it's, a, it's designated. Yeah. Well, if you you know if they're they're not as sensitive as uh, you know a lot of people think. You know you can you can. Uh, you know, it's not the kind of it's not like a ball python though. You know, it's not the kind of animal where you know you're gonna put, you know take it out of your cage and you know go sit in the living room and have it on your lap <laughs> watching TV. You know, it's not it, they're not they're not that kind of snake. But um, right. they do not they don't they don't freak out. Uh, in fact, they like I said, you know, you go in there every three or four days, even uh, even every couple of days, and. Um, you know, if you if you mo- if you were, took your time with them a little bit and you moved them around a little bit, they they get used to that stuff. You know, they they get used to that. They can handle that, and it stimulates them. It, it makes them move a little bit. Even like I said, even if you just kind of slowly just tickle them and and make them just crawl, you know, crawl to another spot on the branch, you know, and uh, but um, you know they can they can take that, you know. So uh, you know, don't be afraid to do that for sure. You know. Um, don't be afraid to, you know, to 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 handle them a little bit, you know. It, it's good for them and right. it's good for you, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not I'm not an expert. Like I said, I've got a trio, but they're all young, and I haven't been keeping them for longer than you know. I don't even think I'm at a year yet keeping these guys. So uh, it's a, it's a little bit, you know. But I did used to keep condors exclusively, and I did use, you know, I keep a lot of arboreals. I've got a lot of experience with arboreals, so. You know, I I'm applying some of that stuff to this, but you know, you you always tread lightly with a new species, and and uh, I've been 
doing that with these guys. But how long do you think? Um, how long do you think I should wait to give her a meal? Um. <clears throat> so she's been eating regularly. So she's got de- she's got good body weight, right? Oh yeah, no she she yeah you you should probably yeah I'd I'd probably wait you know wait wait at least maybe a month you know maybe wait a month or something you know yeah yeah you you know just uh you know you probably you know you probably should have picked you know slowly picked up the size of the meals as the as the snake grows you know you you kind of pick up the size of the meal and um you know you might have been you know you might have been a little hesitant to do that so hopefully you know it's not a it's not a you know permanent issue or anything you know hopefully you know everything's fine with it you know it's the, it's the first time it's happened with her it's the first time it's ever happened to me with any animal i've kept so you know i just you know a lot of people in the hobby they like to hide the failures they're they're very quick to put out their successes but they want to hide the failures I don't really think we learn a whole lot just by seeing this, the highlights. You know, I think we need to know a little bit about the failures and the and the the you know mess ups, uh, so to speak, so that we can learn from that. So that's kind of the reason I brought it out because you obviously yeah. have more experience than I do with these guys, and I'm not trying to hide anything. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I have pretty good experience with animals, with snakes. I, I give myself a little bit of a pat on the back, but I'm not an emerald expert by any means well they're not they're not they're not hard and uh you know hopefully um you won't have any more issues with that uh but it probably wouldn't hurt you know they can you can they can pick up a protozoan from you know uh i I don't even know i mean but uh it it wouldn't hurt to just have a fecal done you know and that would tell you for sure there was some kind of irritant in the gut you know yeah, sure, sure. It might might be worth it. Do you yeah. have a reptile vet, oh. a, a decent reptile vet there? Um, not not as good of one as I would like. Uh, he has a genuine care for the animals. Cause I've taken animals to him before in the past. I can tell he's not just treating it like a, uh, you know like a dog or a cat, like, uh, you know, let's, uh, just another number, let's get it in, get it out, send me the bill. Um, he, he seems to have a genuine care for the animals. But Has he, he ever done a fecal? Birds. Has he ever done? Some some of them don't. Uh, oh, sure. I talked to a vet the other day sure. that, um, you know, didn't really, didn't think he felt comfortable, you know, trying to do fecals, you know, on, on reptiles. No, he, he's done fecals. He's done fecals before. He, he actually did a people for me on another animal. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I don't I don't think that he doesn't. He just doesn't. He doesn't have the knowledge. You know how some vets they know species and they know the little quirks with each species, but you know he doesn't have that kind of knowledge. But he knows how to do a fecal. He's treated reptiles before. It's just you know, right? He's not up to part. You know, like. If I was going to send something to Bradley Waffa, you know, like he he knows species and knows exactly what to look for with each species. He knows the nuances and stuff like that. There are a few vets out there like that. Uh, but my local vet, you know, I, I basically only have a local vet, and I have, like, the UC Davis vet department, uh, which is, you know, there are a bunch of students that are learning. So mm-hmm. not a lot of options. 
Well, that's probably a good resource right there. You know, I, I was I was fortunate. We had uh, I live um, not too far from like one of the most you know one of the prominent reptile vets in the uh, probably the southeast. You know, Dr. John Rossi. Uh, you know, he's been uh, um, really good know in the that. past. Dr. You know, Bob hopefully I won't I won't need him for a while now. But <laughs> he's been real good yeah, in the past. Yeah. No, he's great. I I volunteered at his facility for months. Oh, is that uh, right? Just to just to help out. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, we haven't spoken in years, but you know, many years ago, I I used to mm-hmm. just go in on Saturdays and help out. Yeah. But um, well, I appreciate the the feedback on that. You know, it was just something I felt like I you know I kind of wanted to put out there. I'm sure I'm not the only person that's run into that. Just Probably a lot of the other folks don't want to talk about it. So, yeah. Oh yeah, there's their uh, game. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's um, you know, that's you're right. Uh, there's not a lot of um, even like on Facebook and stuff. You know, there's not a lot of. Uh, doesn't seem like there's a lot of people sharing. You know, um, you know, good information or husbandry information. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, look at this picture, look at this picture, and. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think that there's a void of that. I mean, I think the really really the way we progress and how we care for these animals is not only knowing the good, but also knowing the bad. You know, and knowing what was done during those challenges to overcome it. You know, so I see. I, I do see a bit of that now on the new on those new groups. You know, the Corrales specific okay. groups and stuff. You, you you do see a lot of that. People, you know, asking. You know, I do see some. You know, where people are asking questions right. and getting feedback from other people and stuff, which which is a good thing. You know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, going back to uh, to your to your stuff, um, what are your what are your plans with your emeralds? Are you at? Do you have plans to add more? Or are you just going to stick with the ones you have and breed those? Or are you working with like the classic, you know, uh, crossbar? Are you uh, well, you know, it's, it's whatever you want to call it, or um, high white? What do you? Well, yeah, I just I like everything. <laughs> you know, that's why I had a room full of them. You know. Um, so what's your five-year plan? Uh, that would start. That'd probably be a better question. What's your five-year plan with your emerald project? Well, I want to. I want to accumulate, you know, some nice, some nice bloodlines, and uh, you know, produce some beautiful animals, you know, and uh, maybe eventually get into. Um, I see some of the stuff, some of the northerns, you know, that uh, people are keeping, and uh, you know, they're gorgeous, and um, you know, maybe down the road, pick, you know, get back into some of that stuff. Um, you know, it's funny, there was, um, there's really, uh, you know, a, a few, like, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the basins, you know, there's, there was, there was a few, I was just thinking about this the other day, there's just, there was a few animals that came in when all that stuff was coming in, there was a few signature animals that came in that changed this hobby forever, and uh you know there was it, there were a few animals one of them was that diamond female i got and what was so funny about that was uh, one of the biggest keepers at the time had that snake in his hand and put it back and didn't take it i couldn't believe that but really that, yeah but that animal it was it was that diamond animal which of course obviously now eddie you know has shown you know 
has produced the nicest diamond stuff on the planet, you know, with great white and all that stuff. There was another snake that came in that Paul Miles first got that I almost got. But, uh, in fact, I saw it at this guy's house. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's like, I've already promised that one to Paul. And I'm just like, I almost hit him over the head and just took it anyway. It was just a really nice, it was just a really nice frosted, uh, high white, almost like racing stripe thing. But just the the stripe was, you know, for the time, you know, at that time, the animals were coming in, you know, nice striped animals, you know, had a two, three scale stripe, really nice ones, you know, a lot of broken mm-hmm. stripes, a lot of stuff like that. Well, this thing just had a nice frosted stripe, you know, probably six, seven scales up at the top, you know, and Paul Miles wow. got that thing and produced uh, to make a long story short, produced what Eddie now, that Noel animal. That's what started all that snowflake stuff, that craziest snowflake stuff. And then I had another diamond animal that I called SF, snowflake, uh, that which Eddie still now has some of that bloodline. And that animal produced some beautiful, crazy stuff. So it's like it's like those animals, those those few signature animals have produced, you know, carried on and produced what today is, you know, just some phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. So I want to get some, some, you know, try to pick up some more bloodlines, you know, a few more bloodlines and, uh, which is going to be, you know, which is going to be tough really to tell you the truth, because, uh, you know, there's just, you know, I'm very leery about bringing anything, you know, into a collection. I would literally have to keep anything I bought from other people uh, in a separate room and put it through a, a serious quarantine period um, because that stuff that I had, that viral form of lymphoma, um, you know, that thing made it through quarantine, and uh you know mm-hmm. if i would have been an unscrupulous keeper if i would have if i would have uh you know been a dirtbag like i've seen a lot of people in the past over my 20 something years and just kept breeding animals and selling animals before i even when i had a suspicion that there was something going on i stopped breeding and selling and uh Otherwise, that would be as common today in emerald collections as nidoviruses and conjured collections. Everybody would have this this, this thing, you know, because you can't hardly quarantine right. for it, you know. And uh, but thank yeah. God, thank God I didn't, you know. And uh, I ended up putting all that stuff down. But um, so you know, I'd like to I'd like to pick up some more bloodlines. I'd, I'd you know have to quarantine the hell out of the stuff though, or either just just keep it in a separate room forever. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just want to produce some. I just want to produce some beautiful stuff, you know. Right. Are you Are you going for like the thicker stuff or the more classic looking stuff? Or um, I like, you know, I I've you know, I picked up some of my dime. I picked up some of my old diamond bloodline from Eddie, you know, and I picked up some of that Noel stuff and, uh, you know, those the the snowflake stuff and, um, you know, it's. Uh, you know, it, you know, it cost me a, you know, Eddie's my buddy too, you know, and and it, uh, you know, it cost me a fortune, small fortune, but uh, you know, they're they're phenomenal, you know, and um, you know, Eddie said they're the, you know, some of the nice, if not the nicest stuff he's ever sold, 
And um, so, you know, I have high hopes for the babies, you know. Hopefully I'll produce some, you know, some, some serious-looking stuff. Oh, you're only, what, two years out from trying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't wait, you know. Can't wait. Oh, me too. Like, it's, it's good. You know, there's so few people in the hobby that are working with not only basins, but northerns too. Like, and, you know, I only keep northerns, but there's not very many people that are keeping them. You know, you see people that have a pair here and there, but nobody that's actually got a dedicated colony that they're putting together for them. And um, you know, there's only a handful. So seeing somebody like yourself who used to work with them now getting back in, seeing a new face get back in, you know, to a lot of folks, you know, that are new and maybe they weren't into the hobby at the time you were keeping them, you know, you're you're still a new face to them. To us, you're someone that's just kind of a grandfather that's been around for a long time and, you know, it's, it's a familiar face. But, you know, it's good to get other people working with them. That's my point is we need more people that are sharing that spark, you know. Well, people today don't realize the ki- the people who are like just getting into it today don't realize how good they've got it that they can go out and buy a beautiful captive born <laughs> baby. Um, you know, when sure. you know when we were just starting out, you know, uh and and that's a whole nother story, you know, being in the right place at the right time. I, you know, we talked about that the last the last uh show. Um but you know, when we were just starting out, you took what you could get, and you were happy to get it. And you were only one of two or three people in the country that had a striped animal. You know, I remember seeing my first one at that Central Florida Zoo. You know, off exhibit, and uh, you know, I had been looking for him for years. You know, I had I had, had and bred Northern successfully, and uh, you know, I kept you know, I kept remembering these striped snakes. You know, from when I was a kid. You know, and. Uh, you know, when I saw that keeper, we just happened to stop in at that Central Florida Zoo and spotted that keeper and started talking to him about emeralds. And he's like, yeah, we got one of those in the back. And, you know, my jaw hit the ground, you know, and I'm like, and I basically wouldn't leave until he took me back there and showed me the snake, you know. And, uh, but I mean, you know, I couldn't believe it. And it was a very low white animal, broken stripe, but, you know, it was a basin. And when, you, when you've when you seen nothing but northerns and you see a basin up sitting up there and he was sitting up about six feet high and you could see the bottom of his coil and his head was hanging down and you could see that bright gold chin with that jet black skin fold under there and I'm like holy crap that is 100% different and uh, I was just blown away you know so to make a long story short you know I you know left my contact information like six months later got a call from the guy you know but uh, so you know we took what we could get back then you know broken stripes no stripe (laughs) regurgitation snake, you know, and and I got one of those too, you know. Uh you know, he was getting rid of the the bad stuff, but um you know, took took my lumps, but the you know, people starting out today, man, you can go out and you know, you can go out and buy a captive born animal. That's that's phenomenal, man. These things are ridiculous. Just set them up right. These things are absolutely ridiculous. You know, you, I'd put this, you know, these snakes up against any snake out there, man. And, and in my opinion, these these are the coolest. You know, I mean, I've kept, I had the I had the coolest high yellow conjures uh, in existence at the time when I was keeping them back then. And you put a nice, you you take them both out in the sun and put a beautiful nice basin up next to one of these crazy high yellow snakes, 
And as nice as those high yellow snakes were, the basin was two times, three times cooler. They're just, they're just the texture to their skin when you hold them. They have a texture to them. They, they literally, they're so muscular and soft. They almost like melt around your fingertips, you know. And uh, the iridescence of them, you know. Um, yeah, they're just fabulous snakes, man. You just got to set them up right, you know. Heat, humidity, and ventilation. That's it. And and enjoy them. So so yeah, I guess that kind of answers my question, but. Like if someone was wanting to get into these, what's the, you know, what's the advice you would give them? If somebody's like, you know what, I've kept snakes, I'm ready to take it to, you know, the next level, I've kept some different stuff, I'm ready to take the plunge, uh, I've got the money to invest, you know, uh, in, you know, captive born and bred, uh, what would you, well, there's not any wild caught basins coming in, but uh, you know what I mean. So what 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 advice would you give them starting out? Well, I mean it just depends on, you know, um your learning curve you wanna you know, you wanna do. You know, do you wanna do you wanna spend, you know, five grand for a basin and uh you know, for your first snake, you know, or if you're if you're if you've kept other stuff and you feel pretty confident that you got you know, you got it, you know, set at least set the cage up first. A lot of people I know I've talked to in the past say, you know, I've had my cage up and running for four months, you know, and it's I just got it dialed in, you know. Definitely do that. Make sure, you know, you got a, you know, humidity gauge and a temperature gauge and you know you're you're warming the snake up in the mid eighties during the day and you know, not letting it get too cool at night, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely get your cage dialed in, you know, and then it's just a matter of your budget, you know, whatever, and, and your and your uh, risk factor. <laughs> you know, do you risk <laughs> five grand on a basin for your first emerald, or do you buy a northern, a nice captive-born northern for, you know, 700 bucks, 1,500 bucks, you know. You know, they were, you know, I would sell baby northerns, screaming baby northerns for, you know, 1500 bucks, And, uh, you know, today, you know, I don't know. I think you'd pay a lot more than that for some of the stuff I was selling, you know. I think it'd be worth a lot more than that. But, because I mean, I see I see wide, beautiful animals. It's a wide range. There's, I've seen, a, you know what, when I first, you know, kind of got back into this, you know, I didn't know who had, you know, what. But I've seen, you know, through Facebook and stuff, I've seen there, there are quite a few people out there that have nice northern collections, you know, have some, you know, Miss Willie line stuff and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some cool stuff out there. You know, Force Fanning picked up that really cool black male emerald. Hopefully that thing will breed. I never had luck with them breeding. I had one that looked exactly like that, exactly like that. And uh, that thing wouldn't breed for me for nothing. <laughs> I had two of them actually that looked that looked very similar to that, and uh, neither one of them ended up breeding for me. It was just bizarre. But that one, um, <clears throat> I I literally got that pair. I got a pair from the National Zoo. I went to the National Zoo, and we went behind the scenes and we visited Trooper back there. He took us around, <clears throat> and I saw this black pair of northerns up in these just 10 gallon aquariums standing on end with one pipe in them uh six feet high almost just like out of the way and i'm like what the hell and um they were just bizarre you know totally different and uh you know so i kept you know i kept talking to him about them you know (laughs) 
because we ended up going to his house later and, and checking his collection out, you know, and, and uh, visiting with mm-hmm. him. And I kept bringing those emeralds up, you know. I'm like, so so what are you going to do with those snakes again? <laughs> and, uh, you know, finally, to make a long story short, you know, they, uh, you, you know, I think he, they ended up calling me. He ended up calling me up uh, months later, and um, they had decided that uh, they wanted to get some more basins and start working with them again. And they wanted to get pick some up from me, and um, so we ended up working a deal for those snakes. But I, you know, and they were they were beautiful too. But man, they never could get them to breed. I never could get those things to breed. It was a shame. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, do you think that they were, you know, it was some type of a like what? Do you have any idea about the, any theories about the inheritance of that? of that heavy block that you see on some of these. No, I sure don't. I, I, um, I don't know what, I don't know if that's just a, uh, you know, just a a heavy melanin animal, you know, that, um, you know, just kind of like, you know, how stuff pops out, you know, you, how different morphs of ball pythons are collected in the wild. You know, I'm not sure if that's just something that, you know, pops out every now and then, you know, I guess, the person to ask on that is, uh, you know, Steve. Steve, you know, was working with, um, you know, those black basins, and you know, I think bred them a couple times. And I think just recently, I I need to talk to, I need to call him and talk to him. But I think that um, he bred the because he wasn't getting. I don't think he was getting the results with just the first offspring. So maybe it was a recessive trait. So I think last year he bred. Or had babies from the ba- from you know from the first set of babies like F twos, so that's hmm. you know I, I haven't t- I haven't talked to him to see you know if those things are actually dark you know, or any of them are dark. Yeah, that would be interesting to interesting yeah. to hear. Yeah, I mean I haven't heard much about that project for a while. I haven't either. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to know what's going on with it or where it's at. Um, you know, he's got some of those animals on his site, and they're just phenomenal. Well, that black, um, I, I had, uh, when he first got the uh, black basins in, the, the pair from Germany, um, they were at my place. I was keeping them for him. And that male, that male, which is, is gone now, but uh, that male was one of the most bizarre snakes I have ever seen in my life, man. That thing was solid in a lot of places on its back it was solid black and i'm talking oil slick like shiny oil black it was bizarre and then that faded into these crazy gray flicks all along the the transition line and then turned into the most deep shade of gold i've ever seen on a basin so you got this oil slick black against this ridiculous shade of gold. I mean, the snake was just off the hook, man. It was unbelievable. Crazy. That's crazy. It was low white. It was almost did no you, white. But uh, one of the most beautiful them? emeralds you've ever seen. I bet. Did you try and buy it from him? <laughs> did I tr- no, he had bought them from this guy in Germany or something, and I was just going to keep them and breed them for him. But uh, they never bred at my place, so I ended up sending them back to him, and I don't think they ever bred for him either. 
Not that one. I think that male oh. passed away. But that thing was yeah, absolutely it was unbelievable. I've got I've got some pictures of it, but it was amazing. There's one uh I think that black one that you're referring to that Forrest has, that black uh, northern, I think that yeah. was produced by Chad Gray. I know Chad Gray produced a very, very high black one. No, that sold. wasn't that I don't yeah. think it was that one. I think this I think Desiree when I talked to Desiree two years ago at the expo, I'm pretty sure she told me that somebody, believe this or not, that somebody had bought that snake from a guy at a flea market. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and wow. then the guy who bought it from the guy knew what he had, so he when he sold it to Forrest, I think, you know, he got a pretty good penny for it, but he bought it at a, I'm pretty sure that's the story. I think he bought it at a flea market or at a um, or Craigslist, something like that. Maybe it was Craigslist. Found it on Craigslist or so, something. I've heard so many stories like that with different species. They're just yeah. these crazy anomaly uh, animals that are found on Craigslist or. Well, hey, like you know that, what? Let me know? tell you. Uh, let me tell you another one. Even that's even crazier than that. Okay. This again. This is before all the crazy conjurers coming out, right? Um, mm-hmm. Somebody, Tim Morris, or somebody, they buy a green tree, a baby green tree python at a pet store. They buy a baby yellow green tree python at a pet store that turns into the nicest high yellow chondra in existence at the time and still today if you put a picture of it up against anything today it's as beautiful if not more beautiful this thing was and 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 you talk about uh, and i talk about how the basins with their iridescence is are amazing but this snake actually it didn't have iridescence but it was shiny you could take most most green tree pythons you take them out in the sun and they're just they don't shot they're just they're beautiful, don't get me wrong, but they're not they're not shiny. This snake was shiny warning sign yellow, probably 90 something percent wow. with a few green flicks down its back. And when it would go into a shed, it would be banana yellow and the green flicks down its back would turn blue. It was just incredible, but they bought that snake at a pet store as a baby. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I know. I've I've heard I've heard some nutty stuff. You know, people that are maybe they don't even know what they have, and they're just trying to offload something and they sell it, and then you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, sure, I'll take it. Yeah, bizarre. Couldn't get the money to them quick enough. I know that's that's uh, I mean, I'm not in the ball pythons, but I know uh, Matt Lair, Matt Lair. He that's how he got his GHI gene. You know, he was down there you know, Glade Herb or whatever, picking out shipment of imported babies and saw that come in and was like, they're like, yeah, you know, the normals go for like 35 bucks or something like that. But these with a little bit different pattern, they're, they're a hundred bucks or something like astronomically low. And he's like, there was like four of them. And he was, I had him on the show one time. He's like, I'll take all of them. Yeah. Well, at first he thought, yeah, no, I, I've, yeah, he's told me that story before, and and uh, he said uh, when he pulled him out, um, Mike Mike gave him a number, and he literally thought it was like in the thousands of dollars, 
and he said it was two fifty, I think. And he thought it. He thought it. He thought it was literally well, like two hundred and fifty thousand or twenty five thousand or something. And uh, and Matt's like, you know, twenty, you know, two two fifty. And he's like, all right, I'll do them for one seventy five. <laughs> you know, so Matt's like, okay, I'll take four of them. And he said he was literally shaking when he walked out the door. You know. Yeah, and of course, the rest is history with that GHI stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I and I'm not not a, I mean I think some of the ball python stuff's cool. It's not my my favorite thing, no. but I think some of those genes are pretty neat. But that story to me is is funny because it's happened so many times. And your your you know the story you just told is kind of proof of that. You know, yeah. Sometimes you yeah. catch that diamond in the rough. You know, yeah. A, I don't know if you're into uh, Brazilian rainbow boas at all, but there's a guy out here in San Jose that has kept. Um, he has probably one of the larger collections of, of rainbow boas. That's kind of like all he does is his bread and butter, uh, named Dave Colling. And he's got this candy stripe uh, gene that is just, it, it's a, it's an incomplete dominance. So there is a super form. And when you bring them together, it just makes the most odd-looking, bizarre, brightly colored Brazilian rainbow. If you couldn't up the the Brazilian rainbow wild type colors uh, mm-hmm. as, as they already are, you know, these are just insane. And he's got like multiple generations been holding every litter back that he's every, you know, every litter back that he's produced. Um, and that animal came from a Craigslist animal, you know, the founding animal right? there. He, he said he saw it on Craigslist and said there was something a little bit different about it. Um, and uh, he bought it and, you know, bought, I think maybe, uh, bred it and then saw something a little bit different in the unique in the offspring, bred the offspring back to the parent and you know, voila, you've got these insane uh Brazilian rainbow bullets that are everybody and their mother that's into the species wants to wants to get some. So it's mm-hmm. kinda crazy, you know, how you find that stuff. You just gotta have an yeah. eye for it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, so uh so you're back into these emeralds. Uh, you're, you're working with your basins. Um, I'm assuming you're keeping these guys in Cambro tubs probably right now because they're a little bit smaller. They're sub-adults. Um, yeah, they've yeah. I've actually got to. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, the other day I've got to I've got to move them into something else because they're definitely the females are definitely outgrowing those tubs now. They're they're getting some good size on them now. How big of a rodents are you feeding them if you don't mind me asking um they're they're eating (laughs) again i'm almost afraid to tell you they're eating uh let me see what was the last meal they're almost they're they're pushing upper 60 gram rats now wow wow that's nice dude like I mean, they're they're working for you, so it's not, you know it's not like it's not a knock at all. You know, it's it's uh, that's pretty pretty good. Yeah, they're they're like I said, they're they're probably they're probably pushing four feet, coming up on four feet probably. So how often do you feed your males? Um, I feed them a little bit, a little bit less often, you know, I'll feed them maybe, you know, like after, you know, I'll get a bowel movement from them or something, I may let them go another four or five, six days, you know, a lot of times I'll feed Mm -hmm. the females, you know, either that night or the next night. 
Um, but sometimes now I'm starting to kind of, you know, when they were babies, you know, I, I, I fed them all pretty much the same, you know, the same frequency. Um, but now the females are starting to outpace the males, you know, at two, at two right. years old. So, um, I'm, and I'm starting to kind of slack back on the males too, because you don't need a big male for breeding. In fact, you want a nice trim, you know, fit male, you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, so, it, it, once they hit about two years, that's kind of like that sweet spot where they start to really uh, take off. Well, Females, yeah, because anyway. uh, but yeah, they do because you know now at four feet, you know, um, you know, you don't. I don't have to be quite so. Uh, stringent on the size of rat you know if i have a you know a, a 70 you know they could they could take they literally could take probably 75 80 gram rat um or if i have a 60 gram rat i could feed them that you know uh, i don't have sure. to be so critical when the snakes are smaller um and that's okay that's something that's changed with the husbandry this year I wanted to make sure I was feeding them really consistent. I've never, in the past, I've always just literally just eyeballed it. Uh, and I still eyeball it as I feed them. But I know now what the, I weigh the food item, and I know now what the food item uh, is weighing. So I still eyeball it, you know, as, as, as the snake's eating it and swallowing it, I'm watching and I'm like, okay, how does that look? Does it look like the snake is not really having to stretch and, 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 and swallow this at all? Or does that look like a nice, you know, a nice size meal going down the throat? And uh, I judge it that way. So um, I'm still eyeballing it, but while the snake's eating it. So I know I just fed the snake a, you know, a 60-gram rat. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at it, swallowing it. You know, it's all the way down. The tail's hanging out of the mouth, and I'm saying, okay, that snake could have easily taken a 70, 75-gram rat. Um, wow. I don't want to do that. I don't want to push the snake that hard. I have done that in the past. I fed, uh, I have fed adult females, ex-breeder male rats, just to see what I, I fed. I fed one of my giant northerns uh, a male rat like that one time, just to see, just to see what would happen. And uh, she did fine. She did fine with it. She looked. She was huge, and uh, and she just digested it fine. <laughs> but I don't recommend that, you know. And I did. I don't do that often. But I just wanted to see. This snake was uh, was an import. Had had come in as an adult import. Was beautiful. Six feet long. Uh, wow. It was when Crutchfield, it was when Suriname had just opened up and Crutchfield had got in 75 Northerns from Suriname. And I'd been talking to them and making sure I was down there on the day they came in. I literally helped them unbox those snakes. And I picked out three, like three or four that day. And this was a beautiful adult female, junk, what I used to call the jungle phase, a real nice dark green, real nice dark phase, a lot of nice yellow sides um, with a giant head on her. And that snake, knowing what I know now, that snake was a minimum, a minimum, conservatively, she was five years old. She was probably more like six to ten. And I had that snake for 20 years. She gave, she gave birth when she was, when I, at my 20 20 years with me, which means she gave birth at about 25 to 30 years old. And it was a perfect wow. litter of 15 babies. How cool yeah. is that? 
That's amazing. Fifteen babies. Is that an average yeah, perfect. size for? No, no, for no, those? no. She was a huge snake. No, that that's a big, big uh, average. Average is probably anywhere from a very small litter might be five to six, and and you know. Uh, up to you know 14 is considered a really large nice litter for basins northerns can typically uh-huh. typically have more than that i've had that same female in fact that had the 15 she uh, basically as far as me and eddie knows uh she uh had uh holds the record as far as i know i don't know of any other snake dropping more babies she had 21 babies one time I came out. Oh it's, when I used to keep, it's when I used to keep aspen bedding in the bottom of the cage, and I came out, and there were eleven red and twelve. Was it? It was ten red. No, it was twenty-three. It was twenty-three babies. It was eleven red and twelve green, or twelve red and eleven green. Wow. But it looked like it was amazing because I had all these beautiful branches in there, and there was babies coiled up on all those branches. It looked like oh gosh, I got I got a picture of that somewhere. Yeah, I think it was twenty three. I think it was eleven red and twelve green, or vice versa. Because Eddie had uh, just a year or two either before that or after I don't remember. Eddie had twenty one babies. Wow, I can't remember I, the I number. Love... Something like. I love the pictures of these guys having birth and those babies crawling around. I think it just looks so cool. Well, you know, I, I had, ne- I, you know, I had never seen that. I had so many batches of babies and and had never actually caught it because I, you know, I just I just go to bed, you know. <laughs> I figure, you know, uh-huh. you know, I'm just not going to get up. You know, a lot of people have cameras in their rooms now and they catch them all the time, you know. But one year it was so funny. I caught five out of the six births. I caught them literally from almost from start to finish. I got them on video. Five out of six that year, I literally caught, saw happen, and got them on video. My my cam camcorder. That was pretty Jeez. cool. That is pretty cool. And and have you witnessed the parents or I mean the mother eating the slugs? And yeah, did you see that? Did you see that on my website? No, I didn't. I, I, I hadn't. But I how did you? How did you? Species. Uh, what's that? I've seen it with other corral species. I've had it happen with my Amazon tree boas. Is that right? I've, I, you know, when that yeah. happened to me, I was amazed. I was absolutely amazed. The female went down, and uh, I've only seen it one time. She went down. And she, um, there was a stillborn, there was, a, there was some live and stillborn babies down there and a couple of slugs. And she went down there and she, I think, ate the slugs. And then she, and then she picked up what was the live baby. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I started to do something. And I'm like, no, I'm going to see what happens. And she picks it up, and the baby starts moving, and she lets it go. And then she goes over and pushes on the stillborn baby and picks it up and eats it. I couldn't believe it. Wow. People people give don't give them credit. They think that there's no maternal instinct, that they're just dumb animals. But it's amazing because I've seen my Amazon eat slugs before. And I've seen That's interesting. pictures pictures of my good buddy uh, Jeff Murray annulated tree boas, and he's taken pictures of them 
with the slug in their mouth as they're starting to swallow it. Yeah, I've got, I've got a, I had a, I had a picture of that of uh, my snake swallowing a, either a slug or a stillborn, and it's got its mouth on one side is all, you know, you know how they do with their jaw, you know, when they lunge yep, forward. Yep. I got that exact shot, you know, with her like, you know, going forward and that slug or stillborn in its mouth. I forget what it was now. You know, I had another buddy talk about weird behavior. I had another buddy that used to keep emeralds, and he had them in this like this. Uh, this enclosure with a pond and he had some fish and stuff in there and he kept and he had a turtle and stuff and he kept noticing the fish were disappearing and he thought the turtle was getting them until he saw this emerald down there snatch one out of the water one night wow i know right how cool I, is that i didn't think that they fed on fish no no uh, that just goes They're to show you yeah, you know, they'll it, feed on it's fish. Crazy, it's crazy how nature is. You know, it make, makes sense to me about the slugs or the stillborns because they they lose yes. so much body weight. Yes. That it's just as quick as possible, nature's put putting it back in them, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly why she ate it. I, 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 you know, you that's, exact, that's the only reason why. But it was so bizarre because she literally went to pick up a live one and she realized it was alive and she... She let it out. She spit it out. That was just bizarre. See, that to me goes to the intelligence of these animals. That see, that to me is a is a testament that these animals are a little bit smarter. They have a little bit of a more of a maternal instinct than what we give them credit. I mean, you see well, that. You know, you it's, see that it's, with, it's, with burns and Dumeril's boas. They they have a maternal instinct where they will actually, you know, watch out for the babies. You know, and mm. kind of stay with them for certain, or anaconda stay with them for a certain amount of time. But you haven't heard that about emeralds. But I think that your experience kind of proves that a little bit. You know, they they do care for those animals, for those babies. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. I think it's I think it's you're right. I mean, there was there was some definite. Uh, you know, definite understanding there that that was one of her live offspring. Um, but you know, once they drop them, you know, they're, they're gone, you know, in fact, those babies cruise and cruise and cruise and cruise, you know, and, uh, and, uh, even when, you know, it's funny when you, when they're first born, that's what they do. And that's, that's a survival thing in the wild. They just disperse, you know, that's what they do. And they're like programmed to do that. So it's funny when you see them dropping them in a cage or something, those babies crawl and crawl and crawl and crawl, you know, and they end up, they can't go anywhere, so they end up coiling up right there in the cage. But in the wild, they disperse, you know, they're programmed to disperse, crawl, 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 and then coil up and rest and hide. And uh, right. it's it's just cool to see that, you know. But everything is aware, you know. It's it's it, it's It's amazing how aware stuff is. Even the, a little tiny insect on the ground, is aware of you, and if you go to move it or hurt it or hit it, they're aware and they run and stuff. I mean, it's you know, it's just it's bizarre. <laughs> it well, the thing that's unique to me is that you see a lot of species of reptiles that will become cannibalistic. They will eat their young if left in the cage. Um, and I, I, your experience kind of makes me think that maybe there's from an evolutionary standpoint, an intelligence standpoint, maybe emeralds are a little bit higher than than a lot of the other stuff out there. If they can distinguish between 
uh, a live offspring and a non-live offspring, and that they're only going to consume the non-live, the dead offspring, mm-hmm. knowing that they need to get food in them, they need to get nutrients in them as quick as possible. To me, that's yeah. a, you know that's a that's a that's a that's a, a decision that's being made by that animal to go against what nature's te- you know against what its body needs and let right. that animal survive. You know, it, it, that's it's just very intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. I wonder if uh, I mean I don't know, but I, you know, I haven't even looked into it. But I wonder if you know if cannibalism is more of a you know. Uh, an issue where the food sources or the prey sources are low, you know? That's true. Yeah, I haven't thought of that. I don't know. You know, in in, in a rainforest, there's stuff everywhere. You know, there's a, a plethora of different animals to, that they can eat, you know, different choices. Mm. You know, you have amphibians, you have, you know, other reptiles, you have birds, you have mammals. Uh, but man, the desert. Yeah, we all, you know, everybody assumed that uh, that these things are, you know, just eating birds and stuff, you know. But they, uh, you know, they're opportunistic, you know, and they eat probably just about it when they're babies, you know. They, you know, it's funny, you know, we feed them just the, you know, exact right size food item, you know. But in the wild, uh, you know, do you think that, you know, if if a, if a full grown mouse comes along, they're gonna they're gonna try to swallow that thing, man, you know. And in a lot of cases, yeah. they do. And I and I I I kind of theorized that you know some of those northerns that were coming in with these big old heads on them, you know, it's because they it's because they I think possibly because they've eaten such large food items that the the head just just yeah. stretches and just becomes big, you know. And uh, I wouldn't doubt it if that's the case. But I mean, they're opportunistic. They're going to eat whatever comes along. I caught a little baby corn snake uh, one time, and it regurged a dragonfly. You know, I mean, that's wow. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. So you know, and that, um, the, and the emerald snatching fish out of the water. You know, I mean, they just they're you know they're it's crazy. They probably who knows what all they eat. You know. Right, yeah, no, it's definitely uh, definitely makes you makes you get the wheels turning inside your head. You know, I think we we get in this little box with keeping these animals, and we don't really mm-hmm. want to veer outside the box. But there is no box in the wild. No, it's Mm-mm. survival of the fittest. Yep. Anything you can and, choke down, you know. Right, right. So. Um, I mean, obviously, you don't have any animals that are available. Uh, you know, we're kind of getting to the end of the show, but uh, it, if anybody has it, I'm sure you like to talk shop. So uh, is there a preferred way for anyone to get a get a hold of you? Um, well, I'm on Facebook. They can, uh, okay. you know, they can, they can, they can, they can message me or something, you know. Right. Most most of the people that are you know emerald people, I'm probably already friends with, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is your you know, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, if 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 somebody sends me a friend request and they don't have like a hundred mutual friends, I usually just blow them off, you know. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know. Is your, is your website still up? But the website is still up. You can send me an email. The email, uh, okay. the website is boas.net, www.boas, B-O-A-S. That shows you how long I've been in the business. I've got boas.net. 
So uh yeah. <laughs> you know, that's uh they can they can find it that way. Okay. Is there any species that you would like to work with in the future? You know what? I, I'm watching some of these these guys produce these conjures again. You know, these, this uh, Pedro. I, I don't know how to say his last name. Do you, what's his last name? Well, who that? What's that? What was the first name? Pedro. Is it Pedro something? Starts with a C. I mean, people like this. You know, I've, yeah. I've seen some stuff that these guys are producing now, and they're they're you know they're producing some really beautiful, crazy looking stuff. You know, maybe in the future I wouldn't mind picking up, but you know I wouldn't buy a baby. You know, I I'd, I'd I'd probably be you know at that point you know I'd have to make sure you know it it would be spectacular. You know, I I know I'd pay a heck of a lot more for it, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't probably want to take yeah. a chance on a baby. You know, I'd br- rather buy a an animal that's already starting to color change, you know, that, that maybe he's held on to or somebody's held on to longer, you know. It would it would cost you more, but you'd, you'd be guaranteed of a really nice snake. I mean, some of the stuff that they're producing now is just incredible, you know. And, uh, you know, down the road, you know, you never know. I mean, I've always had a soft spot for Bolans, you know, but uh, they're just such a big snake, you know. Yeah, they're just such a big snake. you got to have a lot of room to keep those things, you know. They really need a good-sized cage, you know. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, I still don't think that – I don't know that they've got those things quite figured out yet, you know. I mean, I know that when I used to follow it back, you know, 20 years ago – you know, people would have animals that were absolutely, you know, they looked like the picture of health, and then they'd walk in the cage the next day, in the room the next day, and they'd be dead, and they'd be full of lungworms or something, you know, or or something mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I, you know, so I don't know. I'm, I would assume I don't see. Or do you know? Or are are, are there people um, successfully breeding them, breeding them here now with regularity? Well, you, or any at all? You've got. So- You've got a uh, what's his? I'm trying to remember. Is it Lawrence that's over in? Uh, I think he's in Denmark. He has produced them like five years in a row or something like that. He's produced them every year. Now here in the states we have Ari Flad. Flager. Ari, yeah. I don't. I don't. Ari, yeah. Yeah. You know he he's doing a he is really the guy on on the forefront doing work on these guys. I mean he's going over to Papua. Uh, and like he's got relationships with the tribes, they take him out. He's found nests. He's got. I just bought his book. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been meaning got, to order his book. I saw that. I saw. I saw his talk. Um, he he gave a talk uh, at uh, Timley this past year, last month. And I was able to. I was fortunate enough to go to it. And it seems like you know these animals seem like they need dens. They need to be able to burrow. Um, everything that he's finding in the wild, they're all burrow, burrowing down. Yeah, they um, live in because the, they live the, at such and, elevation. Right, and the temps are all in the like low to mid-70s, it seems, uh, from all the temp gun you know, pictures that he has and what he's been saying. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if, if we're keeping them too hot. I mean, I don't necessarily know if they really need a basking spot. I mean, from what Ari was saying, the, temp, the climate there stays cloudy most no, of the no, time. No, 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 not from what, I, from what I understand. They need a serious basking site because they'll get up on those rocks up there and uh, 
I know when Al Baldogo was going over there, uh, he would shoot, he would see him, you know, take off from a rock ledge, and he'd go over there and shoot the shoot it with a gun, and the rock would be well over 100 degrees from the sun. Uh, and, well, maybe uh, so maybe they don't need a basking spot for that long. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Yeah, because, I don't know, you know they're but I think snakes. they got right, and they're designed yeah, to soak up that sun for sure. Right. I mean, you look at diamond pythons. They they're you know they're not soaking up time uh, sun for very long. Uh, they they retain it a lot longer than other you know species of Morelia, but they, they don't need to bask for that long. Um, so I, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I, I've never kept yeah. Bowen's pythons, and so is no. You, you don't know of anybody well. here. I know. Keith, I know Keith uh, McPete is um, keeping some. Um, well, yeah. Our, so Ari has some. Mark Spataro has some. Um, uh, Keith has some. Uh, Jeff Murray did have one. I think he sent out to. Uh, I think he he loaned it to somebody. Um, that had a female. He had a male, an adult male. So, is is any um, has anybody been is anybody bred them here in this in the country? I I think there's been a couple a couple breedings. They haven't been like big clutches or anything like that. I think it's been a few few animals here and there. Uh, you know, Kevin uh, Kevin McCurley, nerd, has a, a large group of them. He gets a lot of copulations from what I've seen, but I he hasn't gotten any eggs. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So see, that's still. I think that still needs to uh, needs to be figured out a little bit, you know. But uh, that's that's they're, a they're that's, much, you know beautiful animal. They're much more similar to a to a scrub python, specifically like Plasiolepis, the Moluccans, than mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the you know people think people associate them with carpet pythons, but they're more like the scrub. And those those Clastiolepis, those Moluccans, they you got to keep those things cool. People were keeping them too hot, and people don't get any have any success with them. Uh, you keep them cooler. Um, you give them a, a nice a nice drop. I mean, they can take down to the to the fifties, forties uh, even, and they'll they people have had success with them. So I'm I think that's one of the things that's been kind of a problem with the. Bones pythons. I think people have kept them consistently too hot. That seems to be, you know, I don't know how long they need that basking spot for, but you know. And, and I'm just speaking off of speculation. I've never kept them, so just from my my talks with a few folks, I, I have spoken with Keith about them, and he's uh-huh. kind of said some of the same things. You know, they're you know you can't keep them super super hot all the time. You know, they need, no, they you, you def- they definitely need a cool uh they definitely need a cool spot, but I think they gotta have that basking site as well. Pretty sure yeah. they, they do. And then of course they'll they'll do what they need to do, you know, go back back and forth, you know, however they, they deem necessary, you know. Uh huh. I know some guys are actually putting false bottoms now, which is something that's kinda different. Yeah, you know, you're giving them all the space to move around up top and then you're you're filling the bottom with substrate, some type of moist, damp, you know, peat slash mulch type compost or whatever, and they can mm-hmm. go down there and burrow. I tell you though, it was uh, uh, Al would would tell us stories about those things. Man, he said they they would uh, you know he they'd see one, 
and, uh, you know, try to get, you know, even remotely close to it. He said those things would just fly, look like they were committing suicide, man. They'd just fly off the cliff. You'd think they were just gone. They'd just disappear, you know. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Really? Oh, yeah. He said that, that uh, there were places where those people wouldn't even take him. And this is a little, this was a, you know, five foot five, you know, little Asian guy. He was real fit. And these the these people wouldn't need. There was trails that they wouldn't even take him on. And he said some of the trails they would take him on, he said they'd be like, you know, they'd be like he'd be freaking out. He'd be like hugging the side of the mountain, and the little rock trail would be like six inches wide, and on the other side there would be a 500 to a thousand foot drop. You know, he said it was just crazy some of the trails that they would take him on. And, but he said those P- Boland's pythons, man, he said they would, when they'd find, you know, a place where they were out basking, they'd run over there and shoot it with a temp gun. You know, they were, they were, they'd get hot, you know, when they were out basking like that, they'd, they'd really soak up the heat. They'd, they'd get real hot. See, that's funny because Ari said he's had the exact opposite of that. He said he's only had one animal that was uh, temperamental. The rest of them were very slow moving, very placid, never, never even offered to bite it. So, I mean, that's interesting. You know, you're you're seeing different. Well, if they were he, they were heated up too at that point, you know, they were heated up at that point. Right. Well, they're also they're also different. Um, you know, they're not all in the same place. So there's 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 different you know elevation levels. Elevation. They have found them at. Yeah, you you're finding them. There's a there's a range that they live in. So I wonder if certain ones from, you know, you see that with white lip pythons that are from a specific range. You find that the temperament of those animals is a little bit different from some of the ones from another range. So, I don't know, locale, I guess, so to speak. So, I mean, it's all speculation at this point. I think it's just, you know, you get enough pieces of the puzzle to get, you know, and, and hopefully you start piecing it all together. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. You know, I I well, it's always get to chat with you and and uh, you know hearing you tell your old stories about your emeralds or maybe kind of reliving the glory days by getting back into it and hearing what you're doing now. It, it's it's good to to hear. I'm glad you're back in it. I'm wishing you all the success in the world with the animals that you have and. Uh, you know, you know, it's not. Um, uh, you know, you don't. You you don't get into these things for the money. You know, you you get into them for right. the love of them. You know, and and you should and you should get into sure. any animal for the love of it and not for the money. You know, I've seen people. Uh, I've seen literally seen people come up and uh, and get into these things just for the money, and those people never last. You know, it's they just, they don't they don't they don't they don't have the heart for it. You know, but. Um, yeah, I just, you know, it's it's just something that I've always loved. You know, it was my when, when I was a little kid, it was my favorite snake. And uh, you know, I just want to produce some beautiful works of art, you know, and um you know, hopefully I can, you know, I can still knock out a few here. <laughs> You've already produced some works of art. Uh, but, you know, hopefully you can add to the resume by continuing that trend with the uh, the group that you're putting together now. Yeah, man. Well, it was fun, Jeff. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Hope anybody. Hope somebody learned something. Tony. Hey, you know what's funny is I'm usually the guy that learns the most. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, I bring these guests on, uh, you and other folks, and it's like a lot of times it drives 
what drives me, you know, sometimes it's people that actually request guests, and a lot of times it's like, I kind of want to pick this dude's brain and, you know, take what I can from it to make myself a better keeper, you know? Yeah. So, well, you know, you bring on people that have a special interest in certain animals, so you know it's they're you know it's it's they're bound to you know know the ins and outs of that species, you know. Or if you bring right. somebody on like Tom Crutchfield, you know he knows the ins and outs of of most everything. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. You know, do you have him on from right. time to time? Have you ever had him on? I, you know, I haven't had him on. Uh, oh, dude, you got to have him on, man. That's a, that'd be a that'd be a fabulous show for you. We typically um, stick to Corrales. I just haven't, I haven't brought him on. Um, so I might need to well, reach out to him and see if I can get him on and maybe get him to talk about Well, he's about probably got some, out. yeah, he's probably got some really interesting, you know, Corrales stories in the field, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another one I'd love to get on, not because he has a ton of Corrales experience, but uh, just from, uh an experience standpoint with the reptile hobby is using the set. I'd love to get him on. Yeah, for sure. And he does and, have uh, some, you know, he does have experience with Corrales, so. Does he? Okay, okay. I didn't know. Yeah. I knew he did a yeah, lot he of used to keep. Yeah, he used stuff. to keep a little stuff, yeah. In fact, one of the okay. uh, one of the high yellow animals, you know, it was so funny. This is another funny story. Um, you know, going to his house, you know, looking at his collection, uh, you know, I was looking at all stuff. He had some beautiful, beautiful conjures, but he had one conjure. I looked in this one cage. It was a long cage. I could only get to the side of it. I look in, and there's two conjures in there, and one of them is yellow with that olive color all over its back, but just yellow, completely different. And, of course, my jaw hit the ground, and I'm trying not to get, you know, real excited and freak out and jump up and down. And uh, I'm, you know, and I'm like, well, what do you – I said, what do you want to do with that? I said, you should sell that thing. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and uh, so you know, I said, I said, I tell you what, you know, and I, I think I even called him, or I just maybe I made him an offer right then. You know, I just had a beautiful, I had like some yearling emeralds, some beautiful yearling emeralds, some holdbacks, some northerns, and uh, I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I made him an offer. I'm like, I said, I said, why don't you let me, you know, trade you? I said, I'll, I'll give you so I forget what how, how much money I'll give you. I'll give you some cash, and I said, and I'll give you the prettiest little pair of northern emeralds you've ever seen, and. Uh, he called me like a few days later and he says, I'll do it. And, uh, and I couldn't believe that he did it. And like I said, you know, it's like these people, you know, why, you know, he's in the hobby, he's in the business. Why would he get rid of that snake? That was the most bizarre, unusual, different snake he had. And uh, so I, you know, I accumulated all these crazy, you know, yellow stuff, but that olive proved out beautifully. In fact, it was so funny. I bred that snake with a green, like, sarong animal and produced what everybody today calls the mustards. That's where it came from. I thought it was a disaster. I thought that was a disaster. I was so disappointed. I hated those things. (laughs) I thought they were the ugliest things in the world. But you know what? When you bred those things with more of this yellow and olive stuff, you'd get back that yellow and olive, and that was beautiful. Yeah. That's still around yeah, today, well, I think. I think there's still, I think there's still it, some of that bloodline around. It is, and you know, chondros are one of those things that's like, 
they've got a flavor for everybody. You know, yeah. like you could be a locality guy or you could be a, a designer guy. Designer guy, a designer yeah. guy. There's a lot of different paint jobs that you can, you know, projects you can chase, high black, high blue, tricolor, high yellow, mustard. I mean, you yeah. name it. It just goes on and on. Well, you know what? It's, oh. it's crazy because almost all species now are like, you know, a lot of different things like are like that now. I mean, when the ball pythons took off, I can remember when the first, uh, the first, what, what was it called? The um, the first trait, yellow belly in ball pythons. I can remember when the first yellow belly was $75,000. Think of oh that. That's like a new trait. You have to kind of like, does this, does this snake have it? Does this snake not have it? <laughs> you know? And it was, yeah, I, know. I think the first one sold for $75,000. You know, and and then look at it what went from there. We never had, and now look, the retics are following the same way, and the boas, they're following the same suit. Just the common, you know, bullet boas now. Look at look at all the flavors. Yep. Uh, it's it's just mind boggling, you know. But well, uh, there's still something to be said for nice, pure, you know, the nice, pure strain, you know. They'll never be, you know, I don't think they'll ever be as pretty a corn snake as an Okatee corn, you know. I, I don't yep. care what flavor and you come up with. You can't beat an Okatee corn, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I'm not <laughs> a huge fan of uh, morphs. Uh, I kind of base, if I'm going to work with a species, I base it off of if I don't love the wild look, then there's mm-hmm. no point in me getting into it. If they, if they have to have a morph to enjoy them, to enjoy what yeah. they look like, then I shouldn't work with them. And so, you know, I I think there's a, you know, a lot a lot to be said for that. And I think morphs are cool, you know, but uh, I like the the wild type stuff because that's what yeah. the animals really look like, sort of. You know, you know, obviously yeah. we're selective breeding, but. Um, that's right. That's right. You know, you're, you're get, you, you like you like to keep the locality pure. I, I was the same way. I love the the locality look, you know. But but selectively line breed within the locality look to maximize that yep. look, you know. That's what I that's what I thought was 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 really interesting. Exactly. And and you know now some of these the guys the look at these look at so look what some of these guys are coming up with now crossing the northerns with the basins. I mean, you're kind of going yes. the ball python route with that a little bit, you know. But uh, there's spec, you know, that stuff that uh, Marshall They're just pretty. produced, man. Bizarre, absolutely yeah. bizarre. I, I'm not a fan, but then I look at some of what John Martin's produced and what some of what uh, Martin uh, Marshall's produced, and I'm like, well, it'd be mm-hmm. kind of cool to have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I don't. I don't think it. Uh, yeah, I tried. You know, I, it was so funny. I tried that one time, and you know, my my crap never worked out. You know, I put the nicest male basin on that beautiful new locality female one year. I'm like, all right, let's see what happens. I was, you know, I was just, you know, expecting. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting. I was hoping for something just absolutely bizarre, you know, something like what really what I was kind of hoping for was something like what Marshall produced, you know, and uh, which incidentally that animal that Marshall produced looks to me like it's got a stripe coming. It looks to me like it, it it's going to have a stripe coming in on that first third of the body too, where it's like got a black white line. You notice mm-hmm. that bizarre? Yeah, I have seen them. 
But um, so I put this these two together, and she has babies, and the babies are absolutely the most plain looking, low white, nothing babies. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> so that was like my last attempt at the cross thing, you know. But I think what you got yeah, well, is you got to have mostly northern, I think, with maybe just that little bit of basin in there or something. I really don't know, but uh, you know, they they should have produced something mind-boggling, and the babies were anything but, you know. Right, right. Well, good stuff. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. I I uh, don't want to keep you any longer, um, but uh, you know, I think it's I think the the possibilities are endless, as you were kind of saying, you know, even with the cross stuff, I mean, there's a lot of different avenues you can take with it, you know, and, and if it's bringing more people into it, I guess that's, that at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Yes, absolutely. And, and we need more people to, uh, we need more people to display, even display at shows. I know I was always really freaked out about, you know, taking animals to shows, but, uh, you know, you just don't see really nice captive-born stuff at these shows. And if people saw it, and ha- when I when I showed up my first year with those yearlings, I showed up my first year. It was like the maybe the third year of the expo. I got a table. I showed up with these yearling Surinams. They were gorgeous, big, fat yearlings. People freaked out over those things, you know. Nobody had anything like yeah. that there, you know. And even if you took, even if I showed up at a show today with eight or ten gorgeous yearling emeralds, it would have been the only. I would have been the only one there with with a with a display like that, you know. People just don't see how amazing these things are, you know. Yeah, and I, that's something I've been kind of toying with. We have a really big show here in Sacramento every year. And I've been thinking about just getting a, a Krause radio booth and decking you should. out a couple, maybe display uh, a few really uh, nice uh, animals. Yeah, I'm thinking about. Obviously, I want more people to. I want to bring exposure to the show, so that's kind of like the main drive. But I also want to like set up, deck out a couple exoterras or something like that, kind of bioactive, and put you know, put an emerald in one and an Amazon tree bow in another just so people can kind of see what they look like in a really cool bioactive, you know, naturalistic setup and just, you know, just answer questions. You know, I, I'm kind of thinking about doing that. You know point. what? I did that. You know, I, I did it. that exact, I did that exact same thing at the all Florida herp conference. Uh, one year, I set up two acrylic cages. One of them had that beautiful high yellow conjure in it that I got that the guy Sean Stewart uh, uh, gave me. The guy, you know, the, that got it at the pet store next to a right. beautiful emerald. I think at the time it was just a, a northern. But um, yeah, I mean, people, you know, you wouldn't believe the people that just, you know, came up and just, you know, were just talking to me about it and and just, you know just blown away by it, you know, and, and they just, just, people need to be exposed to beautiful captive born stuff like that. I mean, that first year I showed up with those yearling Surinams, you know, I would, I would literally just sit at the table and, and take one of them out and just hold it and let it crawl through my fingers and stuff. And, you know, I wouldn't let people touch it, you know, but, uh, you know, people are like, I can't believe you're holding that animal, you know, and, 
um, you know, because everybody's heard the horror stories. Oh, they're just vicious, you know. And you know, the the you know, you get a, a full grown adult import, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be kind of nasty. But uh, you know, even that captive stuff, you know, um, right? You know, the, the way what the way you the way you handle it and the way you work with it, uh, you can you can get them used to uh, you can get them used to being handled. Listen, I know you got to go, sure. and I had fun. No, it's all right. And uh, hopefully, there's some people that uh, you know got a little bit of this, of uh, you know, good stuff from it. Yeah, at least generated some exposure and some excitement. Maybe somebody will. You know what? I've been on the fence about these these animals. I think I'm after listening to this episode. I think I'm going to take the plunge and get one. That's right. They should. If one person does it, that's been a it's been a win for us. They should yeah? for sure. Life-changing, All life-changing right. animals, man. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Tony, uh, you you take care. Um, I've got an announcement I wanted uh, to go ahead and make and let everybody know uh, regarding the Corrales Radio calendars. We're pretty much out. Uh, we've got a couple left. If anybody's interested, uh, make sure you just hit me up uh, on Facebook. You can send me a private message or email me at CorralesRadio at gmail.com. Uh, they're $25 shipped within the U.S. If you want a second or a third, then it's just $15 added per calendar. They're really, really nice. And uh, I really appreciate everybody that's purchased already and that uh, the folks that are actually, you know, contributing photos for that. It, it's awesome. I've seen the finished product. I've gotten the, the, the proofs from the uh, printing company, and they look awesome. So if you like calendars and you like Corrales and tree boas, there's a some nice eye candy and uh you know five dollars from every uh from every sale uh goes to uh the the cost that it takes to run the show so i really really appreciate it and well, Tony, save me one uh, jeff definitely <laughs> i i will do so uh if anybody wants to paypal me for it just make sure you include your address and what calendar you're after because there's three different designs but that's uh you can send payment to godbold exotics uh, GodboldExotics at gmail.com. And, uh, Tony, again, it's been great having you on. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys uh, have fun next week. Eat some extra uh, food for us and uh, enjoy the holiday. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.